following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Where is God? That question has been, without a doubt, the most painful question of my life. Where is God? It seems he's far distant. He seems to be a God who hides his face from his people. Why would God hide his face? Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a pot shred among the pot shreds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, What have you begotten? Or to his mother, What have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children to give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled the starry hosts. And then Isaiah 45 Verse 15, truly, you are a God who hides himself. You are a God who hides yourself. That's not the only place in scripture that tells us that God is hiding. There are many such scriptures throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 27, hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. For you have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Verse 13. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. What am I waiting for? I'm waiting for God to come in power. To no longer be hidden. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. 
Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him. My foe will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he is... He has been good to me. Why is God hiding his face? I think the key to the question is found in Deuteronomy chapter 31. He's speaking with Moses. This is just prior to Moses' death. Moses and God have been very close, and he has not hidden his face from Moses. Moses has talked with him and and walked with him, spent many days in the mountains with him, so much so that Moses' face shone so brightly everyone was terrified of the glory of God that was upon his countenance. And now they're having one last conversation before before Moses dies. Deuteronomy 31. The Lord said to Moses in verse 16, You are going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they're entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. On that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and difficulties will come upon them, and on that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come upon us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all of their wickedness in turning to other gods. There is only one reason given in the scripture for God's turning his face away from his people. And that is wickedness. Now, this is hard to deal with. Because today, we don't expect to see God's face. We don't even expect to see the power and presence of the Holy Spirit manifest among us. We've created whole theologies to justify why We don't know where God is, why he's absent from us. I want to make a suggestion that out of my struggle with this question, and I've struggled with it all my life, I don't talk about it often, but it is the single most important question on my mind, where is God? And where is his face? I don't seek the hand of God. I seek the face of God. But because of my own wickedness, because of the wickedness of the church today, 
God is absent. Now, I want to go through some history that you could understand better what I'm trying to say to you today. Before the fall of Adam and Eve, God fellowshiped with them face to face every day. He came courting them in the Garden of Eden. He loved them. And they loved him. But they were seduced by the serpent. And they chose to leave their God and side with the devil. It's beyond my comprehension how they could do that, except when I look at my own life and then I see the perverseness in my own soul where I can so quickly turn to darkness. I've been crying out, oh God, that entire sanctification has to be utterly done in our hearts. Thessalonians says his desire is that we should be sanctified through and through, utterly, totally, completely sanctified, made holy. Well, after they were cast out of the garden, they were literally expelled from their home. The sheriff came and moved them out. Now in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve begin to have children. The first son, as you know, was Cain. And then they had Abel. And as adults, they brought their offering, their burnt offering before the Lord as he had instructed them to do. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And if you look at the original Hebrew words, it's clear that it wasn't the issue of the lamb versus the fruit and vegetables that he brought. It was a matter of stinginess, not respecting. And God did not accept Cain's offering. And he was angry. He was bitter. And the Lord spoke to Cain. They, God was still one-on-one with these human persons that he had created. He said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, and you must master it. Now Cain invited his brother Abel to go out in the field. And while they were there, somehow something happened, and the anger of Cain turned into rage against Abel. 
and he killed him. And then the Lord spoke again to Cain, and he said, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain's way of making a living was to be a farmer, to produce fruits and vegetables that they would eat. They didn't eat meat then. They were vegetarians. He's under a curse. God says, you can farm, but I won't allow the land to produce anything for you. Cain said to the Lord, this is Genesis 4, verse 14. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, No, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out to the, out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In that day, birds' names meant something. Cain can no longer farm and produce. So what is he going to do to be useless, to be useful? Well, first of all, he's going to live in the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. Nomad. East of Eden, in the Hebrew, means a place of new beginning. So he's going to be in a place where he has to start over. He has to do something new. And he's going to be in a place of of wandering. He's not going to be stable. He's going to wander. Nomadic. Now, Cain has been told that he's a wanderer, which means he's always going to be starting over. He's going to always be starting something new. He can never settle down. So what would you do if your livelihood is taken from you and you go to live in the land of new beginnings, a fresh start. But you're wandering. What would you do? Well, the scriptures tell us in verse 17, Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. 
Cain was then building a city. So Cain is the first businessman found in Scripture. He can't produce vegetables, fruit. He's not going to be taking care of livestock because that was Abel's job. So what's he going to do? Already, he's an adult. Many people have been born. There are already peoples beginning to form in communities. So what does he do? He builds a city. He says, come on, everybody, let's leave the country. Let's come together in the city. And let's have a place where we can live and party. So that's what happened. And evil immediately began to crop up in that city. Lamech did not be could not be happy with one wife. He married, the first to do so, married two wives, and he had a very vengeful, angry, bitter spirit as a descendant of, of Cain. Now, wickedness grew on the earth. The watchers, the evil ones, came down and they took wives for themselves of the human people. There were giants. Chaos reigned on the earth. We're told in the story of Noah that men's thoughts were only evil, only violent. And we're told that Noah was the only family that was not corrupt. I believe that means he was the only family who had not had his DNA played with by the devil, by the Nephilim. Now we have the Lord God of heaven saying, I'm going to destroy them all. And he sends a flood. Noah builds an ark, the first type of Jesus Christ. He is the ark. They also had an ark in the wilderness with the commands of God in it. Arks, by definition, have no means of steerage or power to move. God held Noah's ark in his hands. He was the one who steered it. He's the one who took it to safety. So then we have the table of nations in Genesis, the 10th chapter. We have the sons of Ham. Cush is the first of the sons. And he gave birth with his wife to a man by the name of Nimrod who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. And if you look in extra-biblical sources, you find Nimrod was a very famous person and was the founder of a great deal of wickedness in the earth and occultism. We would say today that Nimrod was a, a sorcerer a very powerful sorcerer. Now he began to build centers. 
cities. He was a city builder. And the first place he built a kingdom was called Babylon. It was in a plain in what we know today as Iraq. He was also the one who built Nineveh, one of the oldest cities constantly inhabited in all of history. Now, the whole world had one language. They had a common speech. And as men moved eastward after the flood had taken place and they were looking for new lands, they were led by Nimrod. And Nimrod founded the city of Babylon. Now, it was probably not called Babylon then. We don't know what it was called. But in chapter 11 of Genesis, the word comes, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for the mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They were told to be scattered. They were told not to build these great centers. But what were they doing? They were literally building a tower to reach into the heavens. Now, they knew they could not reach the heavens, and some people have said, They were building a tower so that if there was another flood, they could escape it. No, I don't think so. These were occultists. These were demonic-controlled people. They were in total rebellion against Noah and the ways of God. Nimrod was an utterly evil man. I believe that the tower that they were building was what is called today a stargate. They were trying to enter into the heavens, into a place where they could have access to the place they'd been cast out of. And demons were working with them. Now, The Lord looked down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. I hope you do not have the false impression that these people were backward. Noah and his family came from a time of great sophistication, technological sophistication. We have many remaining things on the earth that were built prior to the flood. Specifically, I believe the Sphinx in Egypt was built well before the flood took place. 
There were many other places in other nations where things were built for the gods, the demons. And now the Lord is saying, look, if they're going this direction, if they're trying to invade heaven, then we need to do something. Because nothing they attempt now will be impossible for them because they have know-how. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel. Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now the next thing that happens, God calls for a man, a godly man, by the name of Abraham. Abram. He calls him to leave his country and his people and go to a land that he will show him. And he takes him to Cana land. God is starting all over now. And he's going to build a righteous people. And now throughout all of the rest of earth history, there is going to be war between the city of God and Babylon. Conflicts will constantly emerge until the final great battle takes place and the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. Then the battle will be finished. But there has been constant war between Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon being a symbol of demonic powers being a symbol of violence and wickedness and every form of evil. Jerusalem being a symbol of salvation, of a refuge, of a place where mankind can be rescued and made whole. Redemption. So you have these two themes all through the scriptures. And now, for the last 2,000 years, that battle has been going on between Jerusalem and Babylon. Now let's come back to the original question. Where is Where is God? Where is God? This has been such a painful question for me personally. It's been a painful question. When you look if you look all through the scriptures look in Jeremiah Read Isaiah. Always the 
Why have my people turned away? Why have my people rejected? He doesn't want any of us to die. He wants all of us to live. He said, why will you die? Now let's be very straight and plain. God is absent from the church in America because the church in America has followed the way of Israel and rebelled against the Lord. We have walked in pride and arrogance and we've rejected our Lord. And then we've created theology to justify the condition we find ourselves in. That's why over here in in Revelation, let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. America, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. White clothes in Revelation stands for the godly acts of the saints. In other words, there are some few people in Sardis who are walking in holiness before God and who've not bought the lie that they can walk in their sin and still be saved. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. Remember we spoke yesterday about repentance means turning to God. And the fruit of repentance is holiness, righteous acts. It's what we do. He says, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. That is the one who is dressed in white, who is walking in righteousness, but will acknowledge his name before my Lord, my Father, and his angels. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, yes, God has turned his face against America. And the reason he's turned his face is that we're, as a church, we're dead. We've not seen the power of God moving in America since the turn of the century. 
and then we saw just a touch of the Lord. Many years later, in the revival among the hippies, the Jesus movement. Other than that, in the 1900s and the 2000s, God has turned his face away. And this causes anguish in my soul. I'm saying, Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. But then we read, these are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That you're neither cold nor hot. In other words, in the church at Sardis, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And now to the church at Laodicea, he's saying, Yeah, you're lukewarm. There's no fire in you. There's no passion for God. There's no searching after where is God. I want to tell you the most important question you can ask is where is God? And let that move you to begin to search in every way, to repent for every darkness that enters into your heart and your mind. Turn toward God. And search after him. You say, I'm rich. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched and poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold tried in the fire. I counsel you. Start using your faith. We all have a measure of faith. Start using your faith and let that faith cause you to begin to change your behavior. How? Lord, I see what I've done. A man called me out of state. He said, Pastor Ray, Demonic presence has entered into my body. I said, then you have sinned against God. You opened a door. Yes. Yes. I talked with him about how he had opened that door and what the door was. It was a door into absolute darkness. And he had lusted after it. And he felt the power of the demon come in and possess him. And he called me and asked, Pastor, would you pray for me that this demon power could be cast out of me? I said, yes, I'll pray for you. But before we pray, We need to talk about what you need to do in actions to justify the Lord's coming to cast this demon out. Now, here's what you need to do. And I laid it out very clearly for him in his moral situation that had to be rectified. He had to straighten it out. 
You had to get clean before God. You had to repent. The demon entered because of his wickedness. The only way that demon was going to leave was if he made a covenant to turn away from the confusion and the sin that he was walking in. He said, I was afraid that's what you were going to say to me. Well, yes, there's no other way. And after he made a covenant to make straight those paths, I prayed with him. And that demon power left. The presence of oppression left him. I counsel you to buy from me gold, that is, stand in faith. And then put on the white clothes. Put on the white clothes of righteousness, of holiness. Romans 6, you're going to have to be. You're going to have to be crucified with Christ. You're going to have to die for Jesus. You're going to have to let go. Do you need to do that? If you want God to turn his face to you, you are going to have to take some very specific actions. And some of us who have taken those actions now are doing what the Lord said in Psalm 7. We are waiting upon the Lord. I'm taking this precious time on the radio to try to talk to you specifically about the actions you must take to be free of demonic oppression. The actions you must take if God is going to no longer hide his face from you because of your great sin. Now, many of you are a part of that church at Laodicea. And you think you're cool. You think you have your deal together. You think the presence of God is with you because you claim to be a Christian and because you've changed some of your behavior. But you've still retained the rebellion of your heart. You've still retained your lifestyle. You've never really given yourself to Jesus Christ. You feel self-righteous. You're blind and naked and miserable, but you don't know it. I have some suggestions for how you could begin to know it. If you will stop searing your conscience with television, internet, cell phone. If you will stop searing your heart with your sports if you will stop searing your heart with the lust of your heart, if you will just cease and desist 
there will well up in your heart a great emptiness. I remember when many years ago when the Lord told me, turn the television off. Just that way, he said, turn the television off. I was a TV addict. I turned it off. I was frightened. I turned the TV off. And I was so thrown off by that. I no longer had my entertainment. So now, what am I going to do? How will I take care of my feelings? Well, I can eat a bowl of ice cream every night. Some of you are doing that, and it's sin before God. Because it's your way of salving some wild beast feeling that's in your heart. But if you will stop all of that, if you will turn the radio off in your car, except when the Lord tells you to turn it on, if you will turn aside from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and cut out everything that is not strictly a part of the kingdom of God, you will find a great emptiness opening up in your heart. And as that great emptiness opens up in your heart, and as you take a fast, maybe a five- or six-day fast, where you have only water but no food, this hole will only grow bigger. And now you'll become a person who understands what I say when I ask the question, where is God? Because when you put away all of your little gods, you no longer have your entire focus on making money, on taking care of family, on doing what you're supposed to be doing according to the world's standards. And this great emptiness begins to open in your heart. Cry out to God and ask for conviction and and knowledge of your sin before God. And he will show you. There was a a television pastor that I knew. He was as smooth as any man I've ever heard speak. His speech was poetry to listen to. But he was also very, very proud. Pride exuded from him in the way he carried himself, in the way he spoke with people. Everyone knew he was a very proud man. I was in college, Christian college, and he came to a student assembly. And we were required to attend. So as I was sitting there, and I saw that he was going to be the guest speaker, I immediately pulled out a textbook and began to do some homework and study, getting ready for an exam. I didn't want to hear anything he had to say because of his pride. He stood up in front of the congregation, prepared to speak. 
and in broken tears and humility, repented for his pride. Now I was all ears. He had a warning. He said, I warn you, don't ask God to show you who you are in his eyes unless you truly want to know that. I asked God to show me who I was before his eyes. And he said, I've not been able to preach for some time because I've been so undone by my pride. That great well will open in your heart as you begin to fast and pray, as you begin to read your scriptures instead of watching your television, as you no longer go to the scriptures to get information, but you go to the scriptures to find the face of God. Where is God? He's in his heaven. Why is he not among us? Because of our sin. He has hidden his face from the American church because of our sin. And we will finally be cast out. If we do not repent, American church, we must repent and turn to God and put on the clothes of righteousness. So you can cover your shameful nakedness with righteous acts, with real actions. Don't tell me this wicked heresy that is being pumped out today that you can continue to walk in your sin and still be saved. No, God will turn his face from you and you will be lost. And then in salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So God is telling us we need to start exercising our faith. We need to start doing the things that God has told us to do. And then we need to have the salve of the Holy Spirit to put on our eyes so that we can see our true condition. Where is God? He's in his heavens. He's turned his face from us. And if we want him to turn his face back and bring revival in this land, then we're going to have to stop playing the the deal with the devil. We're going to have to get honest with God and with ourselves and with others. We're out of time for today. I pray this has been helpful to you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I need your help to pay the radio bill for this month, and we're coming now past the 15th. You can go online and give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. All the messages and sermons, videos are all there. Brother Ed is working on a brand new webpage. I'll tell you when it's ready. Go to the upper right-hand corner and click on that, and you can give. Please, give as the Holy Spirit prompts you. 
God bless you, my brothers and my sisters. I love you. I pray this word has directed your eyes toward Jesus and toward his face. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.